It's a podcast. Man, it just gets better. Nailed it every week. Yeah, I know. We're, we're so just getting sweet. better and better with age and time <laughs> and effort. <laughs> I'm sure uh, everybody that is listening to the Ernest podcast by episode three is also thinking, "Man, this is just getting better and better." Because we keep showing up, we keep trying, and we're not we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. <laughs> yeah, we're bringing the heat. Um, Oh, wait, hold on. This isn't uh, Ernest uh, Hoops Basketballs, right? <laughs> that, is, that is not the name of the movie, but it, th- yes, this is not Slam Dunk Ernest. <laughs> Ernest Gone Basketballs? <laughs> Ernest Lays It Up? <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is Hey Vern, It's a Podcast, right? Uh, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the general name of this podcast, this program, and uh, what we're going to be doing here, it's what we do every week, baby. And by every week, I mean every month, one week, <laughs> once a month. <laughs> um, so we're we're gonna be rusty literally every episode because I'm used to recording on a weekly cadence. Uh, I'm Pete Moran. I host We Love to Watch. Hey, 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 hey! Let Let's introduce each other. All right. It's so much better when I introduce you. I feel so much better just like giving it to you, and then you give it back to me. Yeah, go go for it. Yeah, intro- introduce me. I trust you. Okay. 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 You know, this is different than what we normally do. I think uh, Marcus, you know him, uh, host of the Crush Celluloid podcast, as well as the author, head writer, owner of Crush Celluloid, the website, as well as the host of Jean-Pod Van Damme. Oh, stop it. Uh, and of course, of course, my co-host here, uh, Peter Moran, uh, co-host of the We Love to Watch podcast, um, local fake mustachioed creepy dude at your uh local yoga and self-defense classes uh, <laughs> i'll teach you how to use a sword yeah <laughs> and he'll get really close in your face about it <laughs> you don't know how to use a sword you don't know nothing and i i don't know why the i don't know why the fake mustache is there but it just it works for him it makes him feel powerful <laughs> anything you think you know you don't know anything unless you got a sword and you know how to use it Hi, I'm Pete Moran. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I got an image of you with a fake mustache in my head, and it just reminded me of Anthony Michael Hall's brief appearance on Community, where he had that fake mustache and, like, the fingerless <laughs> gloves and stuff. Like, yeah. One day, my friend, you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> One day. Oh, I can, I can only dream. I like that in your mind, I can grow into being Anthony Michael Hall. Well, I mean, you can't, you can't pop out of the womb being Anthony Michael Hall. That takes time and effort and practice. <laughs> that takes time and, you know, 15 years of being an unfuckable nerd before you decide to be sexy in uh, in a uh, Stephen King adaptation. He was pretty sexy in the dead zone, wasn't he? I'm saying, all I'm saying. I do, I do take offense to you calling him unfuckable as a nerd, because I'm sure he did it for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry if Anthony Michael Hall is... Um, the spirit quest that you want to take uh, your your lovemaking on. I just feel like his Brat Pack era is defined by being an unfuckable nerd. That's just me. <laughs> well, yeah. I suppose when you get so so frequently compared to him, I suppose you want to try to distance him from yourself as much as possible. Anyways, anyways is uh, the only transitional language I've ever used on this show. So our goal today is to talk about one Ernest film, and we're going to pair it up with one episode of his hit television program, Hey Vern, It's Ernest. It's not that big of a hit, though. It had one season, but it did okay. 
I'm going to say right now. <laughs> that was a nice a nice sip of your drink you just took. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to say that after last week's very grim episode where we found out that apparently there are people in the world that don't love Ernest, this week, I think we're going to get back to something a little bit more positive. I uh, th- This week fills my heart with joy. We actually watched uh, my second favorite Ernest film, Ernest Goes to Jail, uh, from 1990. But I, here's the thing. Ernest Goes to Camp is always going to be my favorite for more nostalgic reasons than anything else. I think this might be the best Ernest movie. I was the most positive person on Ernest Scared Stupid last, uh, last episode. <sighs> but I will admit... I think this is my favorite of the three so far, with a pretty wide margin. It's a pretty, like, uh, lifted film. Like, it has a lot of sense of movement. It's very elegant. And it's, like, 81 minutes, which is, like, unbeatable. You know what's even better than 81 minutes? What? It's a slick 23 minutes, like the episodes of this show that we're about to talk about. (laughs) I would love to How's that for a transition for you? Yeah, that was uh, smooth as a baby's bottom. So we're going to be talking about, hey, Vern, it's pets. It's pets. It's pets. It seems like a weird fit for, hey, Vern, it's Ernest Goes to Jail. (laughs) That's not the name of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) No one would have seen these movies uh, if they were all called, uh, hey, Vern. Hey, Vern, it's Ernest Goes to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) The whole movie is framed by Ernest making uh, Vern watch the movie itself. No, each movie movie is like an episode of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles where it starts with like an older... Indiana Jones, like, in the opening, and he's remembering his past. So it's just an old Ernest remember, like, talking to Vern and remembering that time he went to Africa or slam-dunked a basketball. <laughs> what is Ernest in old age? Like, I picture, is it, like, Cl- at the end of Clifford, when Clifford is, like, a- an old priest who still got a little mischief in his soul? A little bit like that. Probably also would just look similar to, like, uh, Jim Varney playing Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Okay, just that. Without the southern accent. Got it. Just to clarify, Ernest does not have a southern accent, right? Uh, he does. I guess I'm the one that should know this, because I'm a a damn Yankee. Well, he does, but it's over-exaggerated, and it's very specifically, like, it's it's not super Bible Belt South. It's not like Alabama, where where I am from and live. Uh, It is more so, like tennessee carolina's kind of southern accent but it it is still over exaggerated it sounds like somebody is putting on airs at all times but when he's like more soft and he's more uh broken Ernest's southernness comes out a little bit more like when he's humbled i think it comes out more it it certainly does and then he also does a a lot of voice modulation when he talks like whenever he gets serious or he gets a bit of self-confidence his voice drops it gets deeper and he loses all all southern accent in it because jim Vardy is a, a fucking actor he's like a shakespearean actor like he can do things with his voice he can even though he is a southern gentleman himself so let's talk about Havern, it's pets because jim varney gets to use all sorts of characters that he doesn't get to use in the uh the actual film we're going to talk about today he does. Uh, we actually, uh, you did mention that it's a weird pairing, but the reason we did pair this with it is because the movie we're going to watch is the first of two appearances of Jim Varney, Ernest's sidekick, Rimshot the Dog. And this whole episode is about 
Ernest wanting a dog. He wants a puppy named Rover. They didn't get rimshot yet, as a few years before. Uh, but he's trying to uh, come up with a business venture to save up money to get his dream dog. Because all Ernest wants in the world is a puppy companion. He needs to get $100, which is a terrifying thought that all the hard labor that we always see Ernest doing, that he doesn't have $100. But I guess he's a drifter, right? We've also established that Ernest is a bit of a drifter. He's a drifter. He works as like a maintenance man at a kid's summer camp. Uh, he, he works as a garbage man. He works as a janitor. And I guarantee you, in Ernest Scared Stupid, when he was working as a garbage man, he wasn't getting any government benefits. He wasn't getting any health care. They were paying him under the table like two fifty an hour tops. <laughs> right, so you're saying that... Um... Ernest was not only a drifter, but he was being taken advantage of by this uh, this evil capitalist system that is small town America. Well, I mean, you could view it that way as being taken advantage of, but you know, they pay him under the table. Uh, he lets it go. They don't ask any questions about his background and where he came from. That's true. They have no idea the, the sort of convictions that he has under his belt. Uh, they let him. They let him hang out with the kids. You know, <laughs> let him do his thing. Let him do his thing. Uh, and so this, his yes, his goal is to get a dog, uh, a which is really fucking cute. It is very cute. I think this makes a grander point about both Ernest. Uh, this episode of the show and the Ernest movie we're going to watch today is that a dog is the perfect companion for Ernest, and I'm going to be very sad to see Rimshot go. This is, because this will be the the last appearance. Uh, I'm pretty certain, it's been a little while since I've seen Saves Christmas, but I'm fairly certain there is no Rimshot there. I think he was just there for jail and scared stupid. That's such a shame, because a dog is, we've talked about this last week, um, because, uh, because of the chronology, we decided to give you guys Scared Stupid during October uh, and to give you Christmas during December. But uh, So, of course, Thanksgiving. Uh, what, what do you think about with Thanksgiving? It's November Thanksgiving time. Family. What do you think about when you think about family? Jail, because that's where all your family is. Yeah, my, you know, your uncle that just got out of prison and he's coming to Thanksgiving dinner and everyone's like, he's going to be fine. He's, he's going to be fine. He's going to enjoy the meal. He's probably going to eat too much. Yeah, we'll uh, just know. keep the kids in the other room. <laughs> you know, when he starts talking about prison a little bit, like, you know, everybody will be listening very intently, but mostly a smile and nod kind of listening, not a, uh, you know, uh, extrapolative let's ask questions kind of listening. Yeah. Yeah. The jail fits because when I think of Thanksgiving, or excuse me, when I think of November, I think of Thanksgiving. And when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of um, being artificially detained with your family. Um, it like, is like a prison, isn't it? Yes. I, I went the more straightforward route <laughs> that my family is just in prison. But no, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense as a metaphor. <laughs> Quick tip for the holidays. Um, if you're ever with your family and not sure uh, how to get out of a situation, just repeat the phrase, am I being detained? Over <laughs> and over again. And if they say no, you just walk away because legally they're not detaining you and you can walk away. Oh, man. I am not looking forward to Thanksgiving. Me either, buddy. It's gonna be I think I might actually use that. I, I, I think that'll get to a point. I'm having a conversation with my family. I'm gonna yell, "Am I being detained?" And then I'm gonna go outside and smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
man. I think that Ernest uh, Ernest meets pets. Um, hey, Vern, it's a, hey, Vern, it's a pet. Ernest meets um, pets. <laughs> I think that hey, uh, hey, Vern, it's pets is the most entertaining episode we've had so far of the show. I completely I agree. I can't tell if that's actually the show or if the show is growing on me now. I want to say it, it is probably around episode eight or so of the show, but the food episode, the first one we did, was after this one. So it's not just like the show is progressively getting better. I guess it's just more hit or miss but i completely agree this is the most entertaining episode of the show that we've watched so far completely agree i think that they're they don't stretch out any of the really weird bits uh or you know just keep repeating the same jokes in the way that the last week's episode did um i think in the last week's episode they kept repeating bits in a way that was like kind of irritating by the end they definitely did but here all of the side bits are much faster they seem to go by much quicker there seems to be a good amount more of Ernest in the show because the actual through line of him uh, he starts a pet daycare business in order to save up money to get his own dog and i feel like they keep cutting back to that more frequently and actually make that more of a through line and an actual story which i think helps the episode i agree and the the joke of the episode is that so the original concept of the commercials is obviously ernest is annoying his neighbor Vern. this episode has a really great concept Vern comes home to discover that Ernest, he started a zoo, like a daycare in his, uh, daycare for animals in his apartment. He even made a sign that says Ernest P. World's animal daycare or pet daycare that he put above like Vern's mantelpiece. That is such an earnest thing, too. The idea that, like, this isn't something that he, like, slopped together. This is something that he put so much thought into. So if anything goes wrong, it is something that he worked on for hours and it's still going wrong. Like, there's a little bit of heartache when he, like, his machines backfire on him. Because it's it's not that he didn't spend enough time on them. He painted signs. He paint. He hand painted signs for everything. Because we'll we'll get to this in Ernest goes to jail. But yeah, he hand paints signs for all of his little inventions. He loves not only the the idea of building these contraptions and and you know making them his and something that is uh, he came up with and you know it doesn't matter if it's a you know a little bit crazier than a, an invention that. Um, somebody else would come up with or doesn't even need to be invented it's part of him and also part of Ernest as this like uh, guy that's trying to impress you he wants to like put a little presentation on for you he's like this is the patented like he's putting on a little show for you so him building a sign is super indicative of the character in a way that like I love he takes pride in his craftsmanship yeah and him annoying Vern is perfect because that is the concept of the commercials. That's what people fell in love with uh, Ernest the character from. And there's a lot of good bits of him. Like, like you can imagine. It, it's really, really fucking funny when you realize that Ernest's little uh, animal daycare is in Vern's home and not in the zone. <laughs> yeah. He says, the reptiles, um, put them in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that's the thing, too, is that especially in the commercials and everything like that, it is supposed to be like your annoying neighbor, Ernest, but everything always happens at Vern's house, inside, outside of Vern's house. So it's almost like, does Ernest really have a home as far as like the commercials and even the show goes? Cause it always seems more or less like they're inside of Vern's house. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And 
it is a situation where you realize you're like, Ernest is a bit of a drifter. He's a bit of a weird guy. We know Ernest has some sort of, you know, living arrangement. But, like, is, is Ernest effectively, like, cohabitating with Vern? I believe if Vern has a shed out back, that's probably where Ernest has a cot set up. That is that is so true, because the, the sweetness of it is that Vern uh, can't actually get rid of him. You don't really hear his voice. It's weird hearing his voice in a little bit here, where uh, Ernest is like, uh, you know, Vern's taking a bath, and Ernest is looking for a place to keep water snakes and drops <laughs> the snakes in the bath with him. Yeah, which is, yeah, because he does do like a uh, 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 kind of thing, which, yeah, it's weird to hear that voice, because usually it is just a silent, like, audience surrogate. Uh, I do like the fact that you get one shot of Vern looking down at the tub, and he does have a little rubber ducky in there with him. And then Ernest, of course, drops us like a bunch of rubber snakes in the tub, just saying water snakes. It's like, they've already had lunch, like, you know, take care of them. <laughs> It's it's a really really good bit. Um, what else? What else does Ernest inflict on him? So he mentions, yeah, he's like keep the the reptiles in the kitchen. He drops the snakes in the tub. Oh oh, there, there was the goat. He was like, uh, just uh, time around the TV for now. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's not that Ernest doesn't care about Vern. He he probably considers Vern one of his best friends in the world. Well, the, I think the best moment in the episode comes at the very end, because Vern does something super sweet for Ernest. Like, it comes to the end, and Ernest is like, I finally saved up my $100. And then he has this thought bubble of, of the, his dream dog in his head, and when it pops up again, it says sold, and he gets super sad for a moment. But then Vern gives him the dog. Vern got the dog for Ernest, seeing all of his hard work, I guess, or just wanting to give him what he wants to get him the fuck out of his house and have him stop having animals there um but then he's like oh thank you Vern. i'll do anything like anything you want it's yours what do you say and he's like hey how about that money that for that hundred dollars i just spent on the dog and (laughs) ernest immediately like swipes the money up and he's like hey hey now hey now uh we'll talk about this later (laughs) (laughs) you know that like if this were all combined together into like one prestige television program on fx in the last episode it would have like Vern and Ernest face to face on the other side of like, uh, you know, prison glass, and like you know, Vern puts his his hand on the glass, and and uh, Ernest puts his hand on the glass, and they go like, you know, we drink milk together. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so let's talk about some of the uh, the side characters and bits that pop up in the show. We kind of covered the the main uh, arc of the show, um, but we do have several characters that will appear in the movie we're going to talk about, including Chuck and Bobby and Auntie Auntie Nelda. The first Chuck and Bobby thing is uh, them. Yeah, they are just like traditional dog catchers with nets and stuff like that. Um, But Chuck is going on and on about how he speaks dog and things like that. And it is uh, uh, Gaylord Sartain like kind of just doing his thing, making funny noises, uh, which he is very good at comedically. Um, But he does have this bit where he's just like, oh, I just uh, said this in dog. And then he he talks to Bobby in dog. And it's just like, I just called him Ricky, but he doesn't understand dog. (laughs) 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 Gaylord Sartain is, I think, sometimes funnier than Jim Varney at different points. And I think this movie is a pretty good um, indicator of that because at different points in the movie, uh, Gerrit Sartain is like actually like 
stealing the scenes from Ernest. Oh, absolutely. It's it's gonna make me sad to see him and Rimshot go from these movies. Well, that's the thing. uh, They're about to all go because basically uh, he was only in the first three Ernest movies, actually. Uh, Bobby stuck around for one more, maybe two more movies. uh, One of which we already covered. So basically we only get one more movie uh, with Chuck, which is gonna be Christmas. Uh, and then I think Bobby is going to appear in one other movie. Can we play uh, taps every time we lose a character at the end of these uh, the series? Like any time a character has to leave the series? I mean, yeah, absolutely. If you got There's a sound file for it. Dead. <laughs> and they're dead to me because they abandoned Jim Varney. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, other than we're doing these out of chronological order. So technically we should have played Taps last week when we did Ernest Scared Stupid because that was the last appearance of Rimshot. Poor Remy. Um, so it, what else do we got this week in uh, Haver and its Pets? We've also got my favorite bit, which is My Father the Clown, a.k.a. Um, <laughs> Why Did I Fuck a Clown? <laughs> that, that, that is the perfect title for it because like, it's just a, another dumb joke where they just the the clown and the clown kid repeat a thing and then pour food on the two regs heads um but there's just a moment like right before they start doing that chant where the wife just has an expression on her face just like barely holding on to sanity just like i really kind of want to kill myself or like yeah why did i fuck a clown you get the idea that she, she did not have a clown child that maybe oh it's like a brady bunch situation <laughs> No, <laughs> that she would just take the children and leave the f- the father. Oh. The problem is, no matter where she goes, <laughs> she has to either abandon a child or take a clown with her, which is oh, like just I, as bad at being at home. I thought you meant it was a Brady Bunch thing to where like the clown had a clown kid and the mother had a regular kid, and then they met and <laughs> fell in love after their last marriages <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> So this, yeah, so under your under your version of this, your canon version of this head canon, there is a entire clown, like other half of a clown family out there somewhere trying to find love. Yeah, exactly. There's a clown mother and possibly a, a, a second clown child. I don't know if they each got a child. I don't know how divorce proceedings work. I'm not um, a lawyer, nor am I a man that has ever had someone love him enough to to marry him. Oh, Marcus. <laughs> well, I hope I hope that the I'm a real earnest out here, guys. <laughs> I hope the person that marries <clears throat> is uh, not a clown because that's a fate worse than dying alone. Which you can you see, see on this woman's face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did mention Auntie Nelda, who has Auntie Nelda, yes. a bit uh, where she basically has like a humongous doll, like a Sasquatch, pretty much, uh, that she keeps out back. And I swear, okay, this show came out in 1988 when I was a year old. Uh, I never owned the DVDs. I have no idea how I could have ever seen this show. I'm pretty sure I have not. But this is the second time in a row where I feel like I have seen this show before. And it's the scene where Auntie Nelda pours a ridiculous amount of dog food into an oversized bowl, carries it to the back door with this like pink lighting coming from out back, opens it, and throws the food into like the Sasquatch's face. I... There's something deep-rooted in me that knows that, that has seen that before, and that happened last time on this Scary Things episode with the thing going under the bed. I don't know if I've somehow seen this show, 
I, I doubt I watched it when I was a year old, but it is there is something <laughs> deep rooted that is familiar about this. That's pretty interesting to hear because, like, what channel was this even on? Like, what? Where was this? I guess it'd be like ABC or CBS because this was eighty eight. There wasn't like a a whole shitload of like random cable channels this could be on. This would have been on one of the main three. I feel like as a Saturday morning kids show. This show um, would have worked for me as a kid because it's sweet, but also very very weird and ADHD. And I'm somebody that has like bad ADD and like I have to work very hard when I'm uh, on these shows to like stick to format um Obviously. but the nice thing about podcasting is that no one gives a shit if you miss something uh, <laughs> but uh in this sort of era this probably would have done great I mean it, it it's it's actually funny it has a bunch of weird bits it keeps your attention and it's not too obnoxiously kitty because about its lessening where parents would have been like oh sweet christ turn this off it's, it's really not and they're not always like trying to teach you a lesson or something like that it, it is very much along the lines of like uh, peewee's playhouse to where like it has kitty things it's not really trying to teach too much it's more just trying to be weird and funny and make kids laugh and even when bits don't work they go by so quickly to where it's not that big of a deal because again there there's a fucking uh mac and george the dude and his lizard sketch which isn't very good however it does have like a scene of a lizard like hammering things which i thought was actually pretty good <laughs> it's solid it's yeah. solid yeah i think the Ma- this is the only good mac and george thing so far because uh it has <laughs> a joke and then a setup the joke is that the, the, the lizard is building something and then the guy's like i don't know what he's building and then the guy doesn't realize that he's the lizard is building him a cage well yeah because he's just like roommates with him but he's just like i guess george is gonna get a pet i don't know what kind of pet he's gonna get and he's building a cage and then there's one scene with them later and george is like making a hot dog and hands the hot dog down to mac that is in the cage now <laughs> Yes, which also a... seemed very familiar. Like I, I don't know. I have to, I have to do some soul searching to see if I somehow saw this show when I was a year old. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, buy a TV guide for every month from the day you were born, and just see, uh, just see how that works. And also, uh, maybe just go on Wikipedia and look up the fact that memories aren't formed until yeah. you're four. Well, I, I, I know that. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, how else would I have seen these things unless they're remind me of something else that is similar or if maybe because i know they released the shows on vhs i don't think i had any vhs tapes of the Ernest show but maybe if they like tossed an episode onto like a, a shorts thing with like his commercials or something then maybe i saw an episode or two that way yeah that makes sense if it were tagged on as something my dvd specifically has this episode uh tagged yeah on. so so maybe it, should, it was just tagged on to something and i saw it because it, the, these past two episodes that i, I have memories of because the first the food episode i had no recollection of and i had no idea what the fuck this show was i think this is just a better episode i think there's less bits that stretch out and do do nothing and i think it's just like a more solid up well yeah um, no I, I think it's a sol- more solid up uh 
also it's cheating because it also has a cute dog at the end this yeah is cheating hardcore it, yeah it is and also just because we knew we were gonna watch ernest goes to jail and that like rimshot was gonna be in it. it's just like oh this is like the the beginnings the prequel of rimshot um but let's go through uh, a couple other characters that popped up of course uh, dr otto is in here building a robot dog that's the most terrible dog ever which is, is kind of a funny bit um he's encouraging it to bite yeah exactly uh we have uh max finish photographer at large back taking alligator picks not a great bit to be honest uh max finish is never funny but you know what was funny with hmm. uh garrett sartain this week that weird sound guy bit oh i love that that was my favorite one lonnie don's school of sound effects i really liked this bit the bit is basically a man can perform standard like stock table uh sound effects with well, his mouth well, that's and he'll thing. teach you how to do it well that's the thing when he first started and he's given some examples you know what those sound words uh those sounds were right like, you remember those guns that you used to have back in the day where you hit it and yes. it did like five different sounds in a row two of those sounds were from those guns so yeah. they just had so, one of those guns on set and we're doing that while he was making mouth motions i had guns that made that noise as a kid and also as a kid i had a and i don't know why any parent would buy this for their children a sound effects board with like 20 sound effects. Oh, you must have been so annoying to them. <laughs> oh my god, I must have been a terror. Yeah, you could affect the volume and make it super, super loud and annoying. Or you could, and my mom like specifically put with a marker on the board where I was allowed to put the volume. <laughs> she put a red marker and she put it there and she, and she said, if she didn't write out this on there, but she said, if you Put the volume above there. I will take it away from you. <laughs> well, it's good to it set boundaries so loud. for a child. Like, bow, 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 bow. These are really, really simple. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really simple, like eight or sixteen bit, like uh, little effect, uh, uh, effects. That it was so fun. I, I literally like used that gun so much until like the batteries just died. Yes. Like the internal batteries of them, and my parents would not give me more batteries to put back into that gun. Why, in the sweet name of Christ, would anybody give a child anything that makes noise? Um, I do also want to, I think it was in the first episode of the TV show that you kind of mentioned to where this is almost like a kid's version of a Monty Python-esque kind of show. Yes. Um, and I didn't see a whole lot of that initially, but I saw it a lot in this episode to where like one bit will kind of lead into another. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll mention this, uh, the barber sketch pops up again, and it's pretty much the same sketch again to where like, Ernest goes to the barber, the barber does a whole thing, um, and then, like, it's a, a wacky haircut that Ernest is like, oh, this might work. Um, this time, though, Ernest says he wants to look like a Wall Street tycoon, and so the barber makes him look like a, a deadbeat raccoon. Um, <laughs> which it's social commentary. It's the, it's the same joke. Uh, I do like the fact that during his montage of doing the haircut at one point he gets like a caulking gun out and it's like doing that um <laughs> but yeah so then that transitions to uh, existo the magician sketch where he is doing a raccoon magic trick there's things that just kind of one sketch will lead into the other to where it did feel more monty python-esque than i had realized previously i find that kind of charming it has like a monty python or a mr show quality where it's like they needed yes. to find some stitching between these bits so they got kind of either clever or just insane without they do it yeah and just referencing uh and there aren't any other like of course like the baby and the tongue pop up and fuck those things 
Um, oh my god, baby and the tongue, baby and also the tongue are so annoying. I also think the doll kind of sucks. The ventriloquist, <laughs> yeah, Woody. I, I don't like that either. I, I will say they're I feel just like when Ernest threatens the Woody. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that's about it. I, I will say just a couple more Ernest bits in this episode that I thought were pretty good. Um, I do like the bit of Ernest like feeding the animals, and he has like a tray of sandwiches, and he's, he's just like, oh no, I, I forgot who had what. And he's just like, who has the uh, roast beef and Swiss on rye? Oh. <laughs> you the fish like just doing that and he like hands out all these weird sandwiches to different animals and then he's just like oh who has the sardines and ruffled meat like just a very cat-like thing and he's like oh i guess that's mine and he does this like <laughs> ew thing ew. and then there's the the part where Ernest uh decides he's gonna it's nap time and he's gonna like read all the animals to sleep and he does like a very thing where he's reading the story about him wanting to to start a business to save up money to get his his um, his dream dog and then there's a moment where he's like oh they all fell asleep before i even got to the good part and then he just starts yelling the rest of the story and waking them all up <laughs> I, I thought that that was a killer little bit because it's it's a full-on Ernest as a kid thing where Ernest doesn't understand the reason uh, that adults do things but he's the, going to try and imitate adults he doesn't realize the reason that he did the thing he just did and it's just like hey guys I was telling a story here so Ernest will like accidentally do something right and then ruin it yeah I, I thought that was pretty solid uh but yeah no I I think I'm pretty uh pretty good on the show how are you feeling about it if the show keeps on its upward tick while the uh the the movies i've been i've been told get worse i welcome it it's gonna start going down i hope the show starts getting better but yeah i'm surprised we've talked about this show for so long <laughs> yes we we uh will definitely uh i was gonna say is we definitely had a lot more to talk about this week on the show than we did in previous weeks but i think we should i think we should uh you know transition maybe we have some transitional dialogue over to Ernest goes to jail Somebody bake me a cake You better stick in a fire You better buy me a judge I've been the sinner and I do it So, Ernest goes to jail. Uh, something I realized in watching this movie again is that part of this movie is like a jury duty movie, which they plugged Polly Shore into that scenario and made a whole movie about it as well. <laughs> they they um they clearly wanted to do a you know these doofuses on the juries they'll uh you know they'll do anything they'll believe anything you tell them. Uh, kind of movie and then they had to also make the rest of the movie because it takes a while for the the old switcheroo that is the point of the plot to happen yeah well i mean it is like a again it's 81 minutes with credits you got to figure it's 78 minutes without the end credits that's probably like a two minute long opening credit sequence which i really like because it has like a kind of bluesy i guess i'm doing time like song at the beginning but it also like has kind of what they do again in scared stupid but a little bit better done i think where it's just kind of like black and white photos and colors and it's almost james bondy in a way 
that I kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> it has, yeah, the sort of sil- almost Saul Bass silhouetting mm-hmm. work, but it's like cheesy, like a 90s comedy. So it has this sort of like fun trashiness that I'm quite fond of. Um, <laughs> scared Stupid also had a fun little thing where like it's like uh, vignettes of Ernest being scared of different monsters. This week it's like Ernest being scared of the idea of going to prison. Yeah, um, which I mean, that's that's an way. innate fear uh, for everyone, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, even though kids' only real understanding of prison is what, like, time out or something? Like, they getting grounded? I was talking to uh, my ex-girlfriend earlier, and I was letting her know, like, oh, yeah, I'm doing an Ernest podcast tonight. And she was like, oh, what's it about? And I was like, oh, Ernest goes to jail. And she was like, oh, you've been there. And then laughed really hard. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Marcus, what was your time like in the pen? Uh, Brief and terrible. Uh, no, I, I, I think I got arrested for like underage drinking when I was like 19 and spent all of like six or seven hours in a holding cell and it was terrifying and I never wanted to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, so you think drinking is cool, Marcus? It's pretty cool. Hang on. (laughs) Oh, that's good. (laughs) But you need to be 21 years old. And then it then it's cool and okay. <laughs> they won't send you to jail for it. Were you like running from the cops? I'm gonna need no. I'm gonna need more than that. Do they really arrest kids for yeah. drinking? Literally, um, it was I was like 19. We went downtown. We were going to go to a show downtown, uh, and we were pre gaming. We were just in the car drinking booze. Cops came by, saw us drinking booze, uh, got us out of the car poured the whiskey we had like into the gutter and then took us to jail so were they just like pissed because they couldn't catch you for a dui uh no uh because like we were not driving we were passengers in the back seat uh Hmm. but no uh we just uh yeah i guess just underage drinking is bad so do you think that in your time in the pen uh the big house um you know lockout alabama Do you think that this movie represents your time in jail well? Uh, I mean, the color palette was just not as vivid as I recall. Uh, Oh, no. Which is one of the things I love about this movie. This movie, when it's in the jail sequences, has a lovely kind of like bluish pinkish color palette that's also kind of reminiscent of like little monsters, like the underworld monster world. Uh in a way that I really find enjoyable. Uh, But yeah, basic rundown of the movie. Ernest. And this is one of the things I love about this movie and why I think it's one of the top tier ones is that it's not just like, Ernest is a dumb so-and-so and he is with a bunch of kids and kids are the only ones that like him. Ernest is a fucking adult in this movie. Ernest (laughs) has a job. He is a janitor at a fucking bank, like an adult. And he has an ambition he wants to be a clerk and it's like and you think about it you're like being a clerk would be a great job for Ernest. you do like transactional sort of processes and you talk to people all day math yeah math isn't great for him yeah. you, you you uh you get to talk to people all day and you kind of just like go through motions which is like a lot of the clerk job and i feel like that's that's something Ernest would love to do and uh, customers would hate to deal with. But it has a thing that also worked very much so in camp, which is just like he's at a low tier job at this place. He is, his big dream, the thing he wants most in the world, is to get a little bit higher up the ladder in that same job, which is a very cute 
thought, a very cute like idea to push forward. So he works at a bank. Uh, he uh you know is hated by his boss he has a friend that works there that is a teller and is trying to encourage him to maybe one day become a teller uh also his friends chuck and bobby are like the security guards which is a great touch in this movie um so Ernest gets called for jury duty which he is so ecstatic about uh, because someone chose him and thought he was special enough to put up for jury duty which is just a random thing being a citizen so <laughs> and, sweet because yeah. he's just like he thinks he was like it, it's basically like a job interview thing where he's like somebody picked me yeah someone thinks I'm worthy of doing this and it's just like no you were just a name out of a hat pretty much and I'm sure they, if they had known who you were they would not have chosen you uh, so <laughs> So he goes there uh in in the case that he he is jury duty in for uh there there's a criminal who is currently in jail that killed another inmate and his crime boss that is like the big crime boss in jail happens to be a doppelganger for Ernest. looks exactly like him he's just sleazy and bad uh so they pull a switcheroo uh during the case when they go to the prison and then uh evil Ernest, also known as nash uh is out in the world and trying to rob the bank that he works at and good Ernest is in jail uh facing a death sentence and uh good Ernest uh ends up not only facing that death sentence but having to go through the electric chair and did you talk about at the very beginning of this movie where they set this electricity power up for Ernest? yes uh so here is of course a trope uh of Ernest movies there, there aren't kids in this movie which again i appreciate i appreciate because i think this is one of the only films where Ernest is like it happens in slam dunk Ernest, but like camp uh scared stupid christmas it's all about like Ernest and kids more or less uh here i like that he's just a man he's just an adult that has wacky adventures that could just be appealing to children Ernest tropes yeah uh, superhuman abilities he is more or less like a superhero in this movie he is an unkillable uh, unkillable thing uh that he's basically like electro from spider-man <laughs> he just he gets electrocuted like five times in this movie and every time he gets electrocuted it just magnetizes him at one point polarizes him to where he can fly <laughs> oh this is so silly <laughs> so Ernest at the beginning in a really really fun bit of comic hijinks this opens up with an awesome kind of action scene but also just slapsticky comedy scene and I do just want to point out the opening scene is Chuck and Bobby as the security guards kind of on the outside of the bank coming in because they hear a noise and think something's going on um, and I do want to point this out because this is another nostalgic childhood thing that just creeped back up when I watched this movie again because I haven't seen this movie in years. Uh, but there's something about their very polished leather black shoes clinking against that very like marble floor in the bank that just like... I always liked it's almost like a like an asmr kind of thing like it just say, are you getting hard from oh no it's leather, not it's not about getting hard there. but i totally got some tingles like in the back of my neck <laughs> like it's just something about that sound just like did it, even as a child i remember just thinking like oh god one day i want to have like nice shiny leather shoes that just like clink so perfectly against yeah. marble floors and fancy places so everyone knows because of the Hayes Code on podcasts, uh, <laughs> say a tingle in the back of his throat. What he really means in the back of my throat, the back of my neck. 
Not yeah. that tingle in the back of my throat. That's laryngitis that I get well, from podcasting I, okay. so hard. The far, far back of your throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ernest becomes supercharged. So, when his execution time comes... Which is a dark scene in the Ernest movies, but it's Ernest still... Ernest has it a works. fucking moment where he's like, I'm gonna go face death bravely. I'm gonna be the big man. I'm gonna stand up for... And you're just like, but you didn't do anything, Ernest. He, he has, he, he has like, a, a Shakespearean monologue about this, and it's kind of beautiful, because it's still, like, it in the Ernest tone, he's just like, I, I asked... For, it's like, they gave me mashed potatoes, but what I really wanted was french fries. No, I'm gonna stand and i'm gonna do this i'm ready come on come and get me and then a, a guard comes in and it's like it's time Nash, and he's like i don't want to die it is so earnesty and yet super sad because uh he is actually they're actually about to murder Ernest, put him in the electric chair and what happens is because early in the movie he got magnetized or whatever through this incident well because uh, kind of like with the uh the weird golf cart thing and goes to camp there is this floor buffer <laughs> that keeps coming back as a plot point um and, and do we get a sense whether or not he designed that floor buffer no it's just a floor buffer all technology hates Ernest, whether or not he designed it yeah it seems to work if he designs it but any technology that he did not design does not like what he's doing with technology <laughs> and they are against him uh, but it's basically a floor so. buffer so the opening scene is chuck and bobby going into the bank thinking someone's robbing it but it's just Ernest fiddling with this floor buffer um and a good touch i really like is that he's sitting there and he's just like flicking the switch on and off just like can't get it to go on and then it kind of pans down and there's a sign on the floor buffer that says uh do not flip switch repeatedly (laughs) (laughs) or do not flip switch rapidly and then of course it makes the floor buffer go off and it drags them all across the bank destroying everything uh drags them up the wall across the ceiling until he eventually like foams it up and he falls and then a lamp falls and electrocutes him which again this whole opening scene is kind of amazing it's great slapstick comedy and then like he gets magnetized and like filing cabinets are coming after him like sharp objects are flying towards him it's it's kind of brilliant it lets Ernest do his own version of a 90s buster keaton bit it's very buster keatney yes and i think that's maybe why i was drawn so much to it as a child like i think that was kind of my first uh introduction to this kind of comedy because it is of course a a 90s movie but it it could totally work as like a short form like silent black and white movie uh and what he's doing in this bank scene and i think that's why like when i finally was introduced to buster keaton when i was like 12 or 13 i latched onto it like my my uncle gave me a copy of the general when i was 13 and i fell in love with it and to this day i'm just like buster keaton charlie chaplin can go fuck himself buster keaton like is brilliant you support the confederacy well yes of course (laughs) i'm from alabama yes (laughs) Uh, Marcus, this is something we've never talked about before. I am 100%. Wait, hold on. Don't don't think I'm going to say I'm for the Confederacy. Uh, 100% more of a Buster Keaton than a Charlie Chaplin guy. I agree. And I appreciate Charlie Chaplin. I like a lot of his movies. But Charlie Chaplin is like highbrow. He's the Artur. Like, Buster Keaton's a bit more of the lowbrow everyman like still brilliant still a genius maybe even more talented but it's still maybe seen as more of the lowbrow to charlie chaplin's highbrow 
And I think that kind of applies to Ernest. Ernest is more the lowbrow kids character. He's the lowbrow Pee Wee Herman. And I love Pee Wee Herman as well. And I appreciate and respect him. But like Ernest gets me in a way and touches me in a way that like Pee Wee kind of never could, I guess. Do you think, do you think that if um, you paired Jim Varney with a more ambitious director who, I mean, maybe he wouldn't have been as comfortable to ad lib and add this sort of improvisational energy that this movie definitely has, maybe. But do you think if there was a director that was like more interested in like building these weird action sequences where like uh, stuff just keeps collapsing on Ernest that these movies would be like uh, more respected today as these sort of like weird Jackie Chan, like low Jackie Chan sort of level, like uh, let's see what Ernest goes through in this movie movies. Cause I feel like maybe the movies would be more respected. Possibly they could have been like weird kind of B stunt movies in a way. Uh, I could have, cause even like in this movie, like Ernest, uh, Jim Varney performed most of his own stunts in this. Like there's obviously certain scenes where it's like a doll or something or like a mannequin they have, but like, as far as like him flying back and forth on the ceiling and doing all these things and flying around, like that's Jim Varney doing that after they made this movie and they were going to do scared stupid. And he's like, as long as you don't fucking flip me around like this, as long as I don't have to go through the shit that I went through for ghost to jail, as far as like physical torment that you put me through that totally checks out because it is it does look physically demanding in a way that like Ernest is usually this guy on the ground looking right at the camera doing like weird voices and silly characters like he's not a, a, a Jackie Chan and he could never compete with a Jackie Chan and also like but like I'm just curious if that Buster Keatonism in this had been expanded like how people would have reacted um, because that is something in this movie that's like when it does come in, it's really funny. And it, I never thought of Ernest as that sort of physical performer. I more think of him as the guy that goes up, does like a showboaty speech that you laugh at, and then gets knocked on his ass, which happens later in the movie. Well, yeah, because there's not too much of that. Like, there's always a little bit of action in these movies. And e- even in, like, Goes to Camp, maybe a little bit more so. Like, there's a scene with uh, the rotisserie chicken and the fire and stuff like that. Like, kind of small bits like that, but there are just large chunks of this movie that are just all, like, kind of slapsticky humor uh, in this way. Very physically demanding humor. And it just really works for the character. Especially being outside of the realm of, like, hanging out with kids and stuff like that. It just... I, I don't know. This this feels like the most adult, earnest movie, I, I feel like. But it, but it still worked, and it still connected with me much more so as a child than even like scared stupid did uh our audience who had maybe has not seen this film is wondering what happens to Ernest? does the film end with Ernest being electrocuted to death folks that's not what happens Ernest is a unkillable superhero a sponge for superpowers if you will and he can soak up new superpowers apparently at will because in this movie he soaks up the power to electrocute people where, like, in different movies, Ernest will be unkillable because, like, he can't be crushed, he can't be burned, he can't be exploded. Well, that's a weird build because it happens, like, three times throughout the movie. So first we have this opening scene where he gets seriously electrocuted 
by like laying in water and having electricity hit the water and being heavily electrocuted to where like everything around him that is metal which he works in a bank so everything is metal comes at him violently then we have him at his house he he does this whole like weird and again his house is very much like oh we're doing a peewee's playhouse kind of thing like a peewee thing where it's all inventions and shit but he takes a bath in a washing machine uh does an industrial blower but then like oh it's too strong so he messes with the wire he does a little bit where it's just like oh see that that's your problem right there uh see that little wire there you just gotta dang it like he does that and gets minorly electrocuted and then just like oh he goes to dinner and just like forks are coming at him and stuff like that like minorly electrocuted then he gets hit by the electric chair and that electricity is so powerful that he gains electricity powers to where he can shoot electricity at people so in the film it is actually weirdly well set up. The logic of it is a little nuts, but it is well set up, I think. Ernest ex- is exhibiting this power, and then they give you a refractory period where you forget about it. So that when it actually happens, you're like, oh shit, he just got shocked with a lot of electricity. Last time he just got, you know, a small shock. And so when it comes back, you're like, oh yeah, he's going to rain chaos. So he starts like zapping security guards guns out of their hands and he's, he's getting, he's He's blowing shit up. It gets like Ernest goes to camp violent to where he's literally just like blowing shit up and people with guns are like getting exploded and having to dodge like fire and stuff like that. Frankly, I think it's on the uh, jail guards. They walked a jury person through general population enough that he was able to be taken advantage of and had it switched out. Like the well, and no guard, guard like when he was coming in, no guard was like, "Hey, he looks oddly like Nash, the most famous and deadly prisoner that we have here." <laughs> This movie never does the uh, scene where somebody is holding a gun and is like, which one's Ernest and which one's Nash? They do a little bit, but there, but there's no, like, we have to choose. It's just like you see the two of them scraping at the end and they're like, oh, which one's which? But it, it becomes pretty clear, obviously. It's just like, oh, this is a mind fuck. Yeah. Uh, another thing we have to talk about, does Ernest fuck in this movie? Yeah, Ernest fucks in this movie. Oh. Uh- Ernest fucks in this movie, but the cool thing is that his love interest in this movie has no interest in the smooth talking, you know, really direct Felix Nash. I guess we should talk about there is an uncomfortable almost rape scene in this movie, which is kind of weird for a kid's Ernest movie. It's uh it's uh it's an attempted like she is pushing him off of her saying, No, what are you doing? Stop. He does not stop. It's actually Rimshot, our favorite uh puppy companion that that saves her from a potential rape situation. Um which again is kind of heavy uh for a kid's movie. It's not played super uh, dark or super rapey or anything, but like uh, that's kind of what's implied. Uh, but e- even beyond that, because of course sleazy Ernest fucks, of course evil Ernest fucks. And oh, he Felix Nash has been in prison for a long time. He's gonna try and get his jollies off wherever he can. Yeah, he fucks everything. But Ernest himself in this movie, I think, fucks like a beast. Uh, because he he basically just has this friendship with Charlotte, the the teller at his bank, uh, that just likes Ernest and is rooting for him and stuff like that. And they have this very friendly relationship until she's like, hey, you're off tomorrow. Do you want to maybe go get dinner and talk about the trying to get this teller job and stuff? And he immediately switches to like charismatic Ernest. And he's just like, 
oh yeah <laughs> just gotta warn you <laughs> the worlds have like a great track record with a uh, charm and the ladies and even he is very presumptuous about her intentions because she's obviously like we're just friends you're fucking earnest like i just want to hang out with you <laughs> uh but he's immediately just like it, it gets to the point where you're like oh yeah Ernest fucks like Ernest wants to fuck <laughs> and so, it of course like she spends time with him and goes on a date with him and she likes him and he's funny and charming so she's like i actually had a really good time so that could eventually lead to a romantic thing but he's not just as presumptuous and forceful as the very rapey felix nash he Ernest is so surface level that she sees through it and she's like he's harmless and he's sweet and she's right she he is harmless and he's sweet you can't always assume that about men but like you can't about Ernest. (laughs) you can't about Ernest. that's the fun part is that like uh she's not being stupid by still going on this date even though he makes like a quip about he's like watch out i'm really charming to her she's just like well yeah we're just friends we're going on a we're going on a little date like we're gonna have a nice night Yeah, he would never cross the line, even if it's just like, oh, she's obviously interested in me. If it turns out she's not, or she doesn't express that, like, I feel like no matter what, Ernest would never be so forward as to actually make a move on her. But he's just kind of like, oh, I'm getting attention. I feel special. He's like, oh, of course, how could you resist the the world charm kind of thing? But he would never actually try to cross a line or make a move on her because he's earnest. Like, he, he's very respectful and he's very unsure of himself. And he's very awkward to the point where, like, no, he wouldn't try anything. <laughs> I agree. I think um, also not having kids in this movie and having... Um, this single woman character that Ernest treats with respect is like doubly points for Ernest as good guy. Which is also kind of the first real Ernest love interest. Because uh, obviously we, we flipped uh, cro- chronologically a little bit, uh, but he doesn't really like Nurse St. Cloud isn't really a love interest. He's more of like a friend and a confidant and goes to camp. There's not really a it's love a interest. It's a light crush, I think. It's, it's a not... light crush, but it's more respect than I think of like a sexual thing. I think that the, the line that's drawn is he doesn't pursue her. Yeah. Uh, there, There's nothing in, in Christmas. We already did Scared Stupid. There's no love interest in that. It's just him and his dog. Uh, here's the first time Ernest actually, like, like I said, it's adult Ernest. He has a love interest. Like, she comes around to him and actually like cares about him and whether anything would happen or not like it's a love interest there there are feelings between them i think that she is uh someone who has a professional interest in earnest and she sort of has a matriarchal interest in earnest where she's like trying to she understands that he is a loyal person and that he's a good person who will work hard for people and so she's like i want to like make your life better like if you really want this dream then i'm gonna help you get that get there and so she's like weirdly enough like every movie has well she knows he's pure of heart (laughs) yes every every movie weirdly enough has a audience surrogate which usually ends up being the love interest so far right or at least the the um who would be the would-be love interest the the most normal of the bunch usually yeah (laughs) Where you're like, oh, well, yeah, obviously I would agree with her because, like, she's, like, a, you know, a competent, ambitious woman who, like, respects that Ernest just wants to, like, do good and make everybody proud. And, and wants to, to better everybody. himself. He wants to better himself, which I think she appreciates and respects because it probably wasn't too long ago that she was at a lower tier job at this bank or couldn't even get a job at this bank and has moved up to tell her, which 
obviously is not a flashy position, but she's like comfortable in her life and like has a good job now. And she's like, of course, I understand him wanting to have that. Speaking of people loving Ernest, Lyle loves Ernest. Not at first. Not at first. It's gradual. Not at first. Because how can you spend time with Ernest and not end up loving him? Just like Vern, at first he's like slamming the door in Ernest's face sort of thing, but he, uh, Vern eventually grows to love Ernest, just like that Lyle, whose entire job is to make sure Ernest goes to the death chair. Uh, Lyle basically makes it so Ernest can escape. There's an inmate who has a vested interest in Ernest dying in the electric chair, tries to interrupt Ernest when he's on his, uh, his rampage of electric terror, Lyle comes in and not and like just fucking stops this dude dead in his tracks and lets Ernest escape from prison to go take his life back. Well, yeah, let's talk about these two prison characters because uh, the the more evil prison character is Reuben. He's someone that we see in the beginning. He killed someone else in prison and he comes to Nash trying to be like, hey, you have to help me. You have to save me. And Nash is like, uh, you can't do anything for me. Why would I help you? So he goes to trial, and that's where he meets, not meets, but sees Ernest in the jury stand, who looks exactly like Nash. So he's like, hey, Nash, I got something for you now. Help me get off of this murder uh, you know, charge, and we can switch you and Ernest, and you can be free. Uh, so he does that, but his... But Nash's second-in-command, his second-hand man, is Lyle, this big, beefy dude, played uh, wonderfully by Randall Tex Cobb, who I fucking adore. And I'm so happy. Like, this was my first introduction to him, uh, and I ended up just loving him in general. And, of course, you probably know him from, like, Raising Arizona and things like that. But he, he is a wonderful man and a wonderful actor. He was, like, originally a kickboxer, and he became a pro boxer, and then eventually settled into acting. Like, just a really cool dude. And he is great he in this movie. Of, he reminds me of Tiny Lister from Friday. He, he's very much a, a Tiny Lister or like an Andre the Giant almost. Like, a, a, a sports dude that just like had charisma that was able to do acting. When they walk on screen, you are like, oh shit, he's gonna fuck things up. And then... With his gorgeous mullet. <laughs> Yeah, and in this, getting to see him be a sweetie, because I'm used to him in Raising Arizona, where he literally murders a rabbit. Um, yeah. I'm used to him being, like, a murderous psychopath. Getting to see him or Tiny Lister or Andre the Giant be a sweetie is, like, so much more endearing than just seeing a normal person be, because it's a, the gentle giant thing. That's something we fall in love with. This idea, this, like, person that could wield their power so uh, malignantly and then decides to you, do it for good. Well, exactly. And, and it, it is an arc for him in this. Because, again, uh, when we first see him, he is Nash's second-hand man. Like, he, he is, the first time we see him, he's like... Uh, pushing weight like he's gonna kill someone that owes nash money like he's a bad guy but then Ernest shows up and he's like man i've just been like taking shit from this nash dude forever and being his second in command like oh now i actually have a friend this guy is nice he likes me like i see that he he's pure-hearted he's a good guy and he starts to slowly gradually feel bad about the position he put him in and the 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 whole scheme that he's a part of until he eventually like kind of becomes friends like when Ernest 
obliviously is just like i'm getting out of here in 24 hours not realizing like no he's going to the chair in 24 hours like he gets mad about it when Ernest tries to escape he helps him escape because he's just like you're a good dude you remind me like of the outside world you remind me of like goodness in the world and i'm gonna help you but he's even like hey wow come with me you can come help me he's like no i don't belong out there man like and and you don't belong in here you're not one of us like i i'm a bad dude i belong in here you're good you should be out and i'm gonna help you do that and it's kind of fucking beautiful it is very beautiful if the audience is still watching Ernest movies after camp they're probably also in love with Ernest so it's nice to see someone else fall in love with him but it's it's nice that it came after a journey because these movies would be so boring if Ernest just showed up everywhere and everyone is like hey it's the person we love and then Ernest's like I want to put my balls in it <laughs> that's exactly where I hoped you would go because when he said like oh he shows up and everybody loves him I immediately thought of I'm gonna dip my balls in it <laughs> I got these balls what are you gonna do with them like Ernest doesn't show up and he's like I got these inventions and people are like what do they do Ernest dip your balls in it <laughs> However, I did realize I do a much better evil Ernest Nash impression than I do of Ernest, which is sad. It, it's it's tough for me to wrestle with uh, because I am from the South and I feel like I should be able to do like a Southern accent like that well. But I think I fought my whole life to not have a Southern accent. So it's very hard for me to slip into that. Marcus, I just have like a question to ask as your co-host and also part-time therapist, is that because you feel closer to being a Nash than an Ernest sometimes? Are you accusing me of being rapey? <laughs> <laughs> I just mean, do you view yourself as, you know, a dark person instead of a person of light sometimes? Do you think that maybe there's a great Ernest impression in there, but you just have to embrace your inner light? I, I think I just have to reach it, but I, I think you're, you're speaking to a bigger issue here is that this whole movie is is a very existential earnest movie and it's about the dichotomy of man it's about the the good versus the evil the two sides of one coin in an earnest uh and, and of course you have like the exact opposite like a guy that looks just like Ernest, that was raised up in different environments that did different things and he's an evil shitty guy but then you have just this pure of heart wonder bread boy that that is our earnest and that's something i also appreciate about this movie is it is more adult and there is existential things about it like there's a scene where Ernest gets yelled at by his boss at the bank and he the boss is just like why are you such a screw up and Ernest like contemplatively looks off to the side and seems to really ponder this for a while <laughs> <laughs> uh, like in his kind of like blanked out face way but it still is just like oh he th had to think about that like why am I such a screw up um, there's also that whole scene we talked about where he's about to die where he's just like well what what is life what is death i'm i'm ready for it um when Ernest is about to get the switcheroo with nash he, he looks and sees this dude that looks just like him and he immediately touches his face and he just says am i me some existential shit there bro Ernest can't really plumb those depths he's not like ready to plumb those depths i don't think like he can only reach so far into the bottom because Ernest has a childlike sense of existence um and i feel like that's one thing that like Ernest can like hint at understanding the universe but i feel like a lot of it is just him knowing how to talk about the universe 
as opposed to him knowing like the depths of human experience well he, he's a sweetheart but he's still like a shit artist at heart like he's, he's still just a bullshitter at heart after that convo just like washes out he's like um oh yeah i i, I beg you for my life please 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 because it's it, he is a child at heart he's somebody who like wants to to live he wants to have like he doesn't have any sort of existential dread like uh us gross adults have yeah, absolutely. So it's it's kind of like something that is like in this dark situation tapping the surface of his mind, but he can't quite grasp on. So he does it in a very cutesy, silly way. In addition to Randall Tex Cobb, who I love being in this, fucking Charles Napier is in this movie as the warden. Charles Napier, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, have seen a little show called The Critic. <sighs> I love The Critic, too. I was watching The Critic yesterday and then stopped it to start watching this movie. And I heard Charles Napier's voice and I was like, holy shit, he is everywhere. And he's really only ever there for everywhere for like seven years for like the late 80s into the 90s. <laughs> he's the, the, the warden. He's great. I wish there was more of him in this. Yeah, same here. Um, but he's got this this wonderful character actor voice for your like... Is he dead? I, I I guess he's probably dead. Is he dead? I'm gonna I'm gonna venture to say Charles Napier died. I'm gonna take a wild guess. 2009. I'm gonna say 2014. 2011. Ah, okay, so you win. Middle point. By, middle point. You win by Price's Right rules. I was the closest without going over. <laughs> he's a he's a Kentucky boy also, which you can hear in his smooth Carmely accent. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the ending, which is mostly an extended fight between Ernest, who goes home, gets his clothes back on, becomes the superhero that he that we all love, uh, and then goes to the bank to save his girlfriend. It's a little like Star Trek, like Mirror Universe kind of shit, like good versus evil Spock, more or less. Like he gets himself back together he gets his clothing on himself and he recollects who he is he drops every part of him that's nash so that he can go up against his foil it so it is even more star trekky because he's like gathering up all of the earnestness so he can truly fight nash even though nash will kick his fucking ass in a fight nash just keeps wailing on ernest over and over again oh, it gets, it's brutal but it's so slapsticky that it kind of works <laughs> so oh yeah but we have to talk about bobby real quick Jug chuck and bobby are security nuts dash like gun nuts we haven't even touched on them yet <laughs> which plays worse in 2017 let me tell you but it is still so fucking funny because Chuck and Bobby are these like wild gun nuts who just like think that the guns are answer to everything. And like when Ernest walks into uh, their apartment, Bobby is just shooting dead center at a target over and over again. And then Chuck goes, you better get out of the way. You're in a live fire zone. Not turning to Bobby and going, please stop shooting. There's a human being. Right <laughs> it's like, there. no, he's shooting. That's going to continue. But no, like Ernest had to uh, traverse a minefield in order to get to their house. Yeah, that they keep wild. in their front yard. But no, I love this because it is just like they're security guards at a quiet bank in Middletown nowhere. And they take it way too seriously. And they are gunnets and stuff. But again, like Bobby be ends up being like the smartest character in the movie because he immediately realizes that Nash is not earnest. 
which no one else does in a very weird off-putting way <laughs> why is everyone not immediately sitting Ernest down and interrogating them even if they know that it like even if they think it is Ernest why is everyone not just sitting him down and being like are you depressed because you're not like not doing anything it's an immediate thing where they should just like it should wash over them and just be like Ernest seems like he fucks all of a sudden that should be the main thing the giveaway just be like I, what happened I've known him for 15 years never once have I thought that he fucks <laughs> Ernest went through puberty overnight it was really brutal he had to go through some changes it looked like that scene in American Werewolf in London but all of a sudden Ernest has grown up quite a bit and now he fucks I guess so <laughs> So, so let's talk about uh, some specific scenes that, that we may like or think they're particularly funny in this movie. Let, let's talk about the uh, the initial date scene between Ernest and, and Charlotte. The, the friend dinner slash date scene where Ernest is uh, minorly charged with electronic powers. Uh, so there, there's, again, a lot of good physical comedy with like forks coming up towards him and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> there's a really good scene where he's having a conversation with her and like the, this big like a saucer of butter like comes towards him and then dips in his lap and then he brings his hand up and it's covered in butter and he just like butters a breadstick with his fingers while he's talking to her there's a whole spate of things of Ernest trying to act like a respectable man and then just getting it blown up in his face doesn't he like chew on a pen when he's in jury oh my god okay yeah we we must talk about this because this is I think my favorite scene in all of Ernest's it's the history. Same thing. Ernest it, is trying to be cool, and then things just blow up in his face. I, I think just the the idea, the execution, everything about the scene is kind of perfect comedy to me. Like there are many forms of comedy, but as far as just kind of like lowbrow dumb joke, but playing something out over a long period of time to make it more funny, is kind of a perfect example of that. But yes. While Ernest is sitting on the jury, he's like very intently like chewing on a pen, just like, oh, a, a man's life hangs in my hands. And then he breaks the pen off in his mouth. And then immediately, like, it, it gets silly, the amount of like ink and shit that is in his mouth and is spewing out. So slowly he like, he's trying to wipe it off with his hands and then that doesn't do it. So he like tears off paper from his notebook and starts wiping it down. Silly stuff like he starts wiping his brow with it and stuff, like spreading the ink around even more, and then like doesn't know what to do with the paper he just wiped it off with, so he starts chewing on it until like he draws attention to himself and everyone in the courtroom is looking at him and stops and just like, Are you okay, sir? And it's like, Oh yeah, just fine, thank you. <laughs> like nothing had happened. It it's fucking brilliant comedy and it's one of the things I love about Ernest. I, I feel like this is the best kind of like mix of uh tender sweet ignorance that is the character of Ernest mixed with the kind of physical comedy that Jim Varney was capable of. Weird and kind of uncomfortable to watch because you're watching someone like be in a place where he can't run out of the room and he has to present in front of people. And yet in your mind, you know that Ernest is incapable of presenting well, just like the dinner scene. And he just keeps so making it worse. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it, it, it's just wiping it around, making a big fucking mess. And there's something beautiful about how Ernest just keeps riding out the moment because like we said consummate bullshit but but just also oblivious to it because even after that whole scene ends they're like okay we're gonna adjourn and we're gonna go to the prison to see where this thing took place and he leans over to the guy next to him covered in ink looking like a crazy person he's like oh boy a field trip <laughs> yeah yeah it is earnest in this movie his like 
almost uh, lack of understanding of what's going on at any moment is what saves it from being too depressing. Is because Ernest doesn't realize he's on death row until he is five minutes before he's about to be executed. He doesn't realize he's in jail until like ten minutes after he's been put in jail. Ernest's obliviousness is really what saves the movie from feeling depressing. Because when when we are shown shots of this prison, you could literally take any of the prison shots. The, uh, you know, Lyle and Nash interrogating that one guy for money. Oh, on the bench. Uh, on the weight on bench. On the bench. Yeah. That could literally be from any 80s prison movie. It, it could be from anything because it, it could be like a Sylvester Stallone movie or a Jean, Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> he, to- he totally does a Stallone impression in this as well. <laughs> so here's here's where I'm at with, with Ernest is that he does these great impressions that are super funny to me, and then... And um, everything from, like, Bogart to fucking James Mason, like, to, like he does all sorts of things. It, it, like I mentioned earlier, there's a improvisational energy that comes from, I think, them being in a... This whole team, Coke Sams, and Jim Varney, and John... Is it John Cherry? John Cherry, yeah. John Cherry being in this very comfortable position where they can kind of improvise and play off of bits and sort of like just be in the room. And that lets Jim Varney be funnier because like I think that Jim Varney would have had a really great stage show or something because he's just like so present, so in the moment. Like a one man show kind of thing. Looking, Yeah, looking right in the camera with you and being present and just entertaining a whole scene just by standing there. Um, we could have we could have gotten Ernest on ice. Well, that's the thing. They, they trusted him enough to know just like fucking just let Varney go, man. Just let him do his thing. Like we'll we'll clean it up in editing, but like just let him go and try different things, and things will work and things will stick. Which we'll get to much later on going back. But like they they realize like he is a character actor. Like he can jump into characters in a magnificent way. So the interesting thing about this is Scared Stupid shoves the uh, the characters, the, the, the costumes in, in a way that I feel is um, inorganic. And, f- and it begs the question, is Ernest a multiple personality disorder person? This movie has one bit, which is uh, Aunt Nelda, right? But it, but it works within the confines of the story. Because it's Ernest playing a bit and the guards immediately catch on to his ruse after... 30 seconds and they're like okay but but it works because like he he plays this character and he's just like oh i just visited my my deadbeat son in jail and i'm just trying to get out of here the guard's like well how are the visitor's side is over there how did you get here you're not getting through the store and he's like oh i bet you treat your own mother like that and like hits someone's heartstrings about like how they treat their own mother to eventually get out but the the balls that are chained to his feet drop out which i guess he was using as bosoms so (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, really funny bit. It fits in the context. That's another reason I think this movie is better than Scared Stupid is that it's more fluid in how it works in um, Ernest's strengths, Jim Varney's strengths, the sort of uh, weird places that these movies can go. I only have like two final thoughts, and one of them is that we didn't fucking talk about Rimshot. Yeah, let's talk about Rimshot. So Rimshot gets the sideline in this movie, which is a real bummer that Rimshot doesn't get to be part of maybe like a prison escape plan. 
that would be just great for me. I yeah, I do wish he was more a part because again, we we basically like I, I think I wrote this two different times in my notes. I was like, don't fucking abuse Rimshot because he gets treated <laughs> like garbage, and like Nash throws him in the garbage, and then he has to find. But there is a good line where he's like, "Who would throw away a perfectly good dog?" Rimshot was throwing the trash to be disposed of because Nash couldn't deal with taking care of Ernest's best friend. And Rimshot is weirdly enough, it's a weird thing where Ernest is like dumber than Rimshot in certain ways. Like Rimshot seems more situationally aware. Yeah, he he does. He he is a part of the story. I I don't know, because again, when Nash first shows up to the house, Rimshot does try to jump in his arms, but then he gets shot away and he's immediately like, no, that's a bad dude. And he does stop an attempted rape. So, uh... Good for him. Good for you, Ramshot. You're the real hero of this film. Dogs are always the real heroes of any movie. You just don't know it. Uh, Cujo was uh, saving those people from having a boring weekend. The, my favorite line from the movie is, is Gerard Sartain, which we gotta talk about. Because he is so fucking funny in this movie. Well, I, I also, I don't want to just focus on him as well, because I think it's uh, uh, Bill Beerge, uh that plays Bobby as well. Like, they're kind of the perfect combo in this. And eventually, John Cherry did make, like, a Laurel and Hardy movie, uh, and it was uh, Gerard Sartain, but it, then Bronson Pinchot. And I really wish he had just used Chuck and Bobby because they would have worked together in a movie like that playing those characters. But I guess maybe like, you know, Pinchon obviously has more charisma and could say more lines maybe than Bobby. But like they're the perfect like big and small man comedic duo in this movie. Yeah, they're lovely. The crystallized old man who just like has perfect aim and yet like doesn't know how to deal with any situation except for shooting at it. So, so good because it's just like this stiff, funny character that Gerard Sartain has to defend and talk about his philosophy of. <laughs> so he goes, this man is a cold cobra ready to strike at the slightest inconsistency. Well, so much I like is that even after they find out it's just Ernest, he still has his gun on him the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's good shit. It's good shit. Um, but yeah. So, do you have any final thoughts on Ernest goes to jail? I don't know. Uh, this not only, like I said, is a more an adult Ernest, and it, it's the that's the thing that I think makes it stand out and why it's one of my favorites. It's so much different than all the others. It isn't just like Ernest doing a kitty thing or hanging out with kids. It does deal with some deeper themes. It does deal with like, you know, Ernest just working a regular job trying to get up in the world, but also just like the threat of prison and actual bad guys and bad people that Ernest has to fight against. And we didn't even talk about how the movie actually ends, which is that while they're fighting, Ernest gets magnetized again and ends up being able to fly and float. And Nash has set a bomb on the uh, the the door to to the the vault. And he also tied up Charlotte and Chuck to the vault. And Ernest, in the last moment before the bomb's about to explode, fucking bounces down, picks up the bomb, and then flies through the glass window, like, to sacrifice himself like he's fucking Batman or something. <laughs> and then, like, explodes and ends up falling back down uh, and hitting Nash and knocking him out. And the last line of the movie is Ernest, like, covered in black suit. J just like, I came, I saw... I got blowed up. Credits. I agree entirely. Marcus? Yes, Peter? 
I know our mission is strong going forward because of what you just said. This this like, picked up a lot. <laughs> we're we're good for the next 900 episodes. We're actually going to come back and just keep doing the same movies. Well, it's like actually there there's only what like 10 more, 9 more. Yeah, but, but we're going to just do it a lot. Um how about we just do the first 10 minutes of uh every earnest movie for the next episode? And then next 10 minutes for the next episode. And we just really drag the sucker out. I mean, we can. We can do the earnest minute by minute podcast and <laughs> piss everyone off because. I have zero listeners. I, I don't. Like, imagine us recording an hour per minute of each, <laughs> of each minute in an earnest movie. Even the best of earnest movies. Even if we did this minute by minute. Because there's still stuff I didn't get to mention in this, like scenes and stuff like that. But that's fine. That just shows you that this movie is an embarrassment of riches. And, and like I said... Ernest Goes to Camp is always going to be my favorite for nostalgic reasons because it hits me in my heartstrings. But as far as like a good comedy movie and a good use of the Ernest character uh, in a way that isn't pandering, that isn't just like trying to make him a child icon or anything, like using him as just kind of like a fun, silly comedy movie, Ernest Goes to Jail is, I think, the best fucking Ernest movie. <laughs> I don't see the movies getting much better than this, but, you know, that's why we're here. We got to cover this. Keep on listening, folks. Yeah, and we're not just going to go forward. Next episode, we're going to go back. We're going to go back two years to 1988, where they do Ernest Saves Christmas. Thank you so much, Marcus. Thank you thank so you much, so Peter. Much, me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but mostly thank, thank you, Peter. Because you, you, you did all the heavy thank, lifting, all the hard work. Thank you. Thank you, me, so much uh, for being me. But yeah, this has been so much fun. Can't wait for Ernest Saves Christmas. He's going to do a Christmas, I imagine. He's going to save it, I think. I, it, if the title g gives anything to think about, I, I think he might end up saving Christmas, guys. So, are you telling me there's no more Rimshot? Yeah, this, yeah, actually, if you want to play Taps, now would be the time to play Taps. This is the last time we're going to discuss Rimshot. So, Rimshot, I feel like we hardly knew ye. And it was the same dog in both movies that played the played Rimshot. So that's even more special. Because the movies oh. were a couple years apart, because I think uh, yeah, well maybe just a year apart. 90, 91. But uh, yeah, no, same dog. Played Rimshot both times. Did a fantastic job. Uh, he was in other movies as well. But yeah, very, very sorry, Rimshot. Let's give a moment of silence. And I, of course... That's where you put in not taps. honor that, yeah. <laughs> I will insert the moment of silence, because... Um, it's a dead dog from an earnest movie. I won't actually leave a moment of actual silence. But, but it was a really cute dog. It's a great dog. Certainly it's better than fucking Rover from that bullshit It's Pets episode. Listen, here's the deal. I would have loved Rover if I didn't already know Rimshot. I keep watching I keep watching this shit in the wrong order. If I, I should have watched that's true. Yeah, no, the if I didn't know first. of Rimshot, I, I might have really been touched by Rover. But when I saw Rover in the episode, I was just like, you're no fucking Rimshot. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Thank you so much, Marcus. And next week. But it's not next week, but next month. Yeah, God damn it. <laughs> Marcus, what is wrong with my brain today? Why uh, can I not? I've had two drinks. I've had a lot of water. I had a full dinner. My fucking brain is not working tonight. And guess what? 
all I can do is rant about Ernest. So we are very excited for our next episode. Yeah, it's it's Ernest. Christmas season, baby. Guess what? Ernest is going to deal with Santa Claus. Ernest is going to deal with elves. Ernest is going to deal with reindeer. Ernest is going to go on a magical adventure to fucking save Christmas, you guys. Yeah, Ernest is going to scare Christmas. Okay, guys? <laughs> Ernest is going to slam dunk Christmas, guys. Seriously. <laughs> I, I'm going to start referring to it as me slam dunking Christmas. Anytime I buy someone a good present. Oh, I, did, I just slam dunk Christmas, you guys. Uh, er, Ernest is going to bring Christmas to Africa. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Marcus, you've been a wonderful man. And until you see Well, of course. Next, and you, you've been... Uh, uh, you manageable you've been manageable thank you so much hey folks see you next month you know what i mean yeah know what i mean it's uh, the ball and they call me by a number not a name lord lord gotta do my time i gotta do my time with an aching heart won't that gal of mine you can hear my hammer You can hear my song Gonna sing it like John Henry all day long, long, long Gotta do my time I gotta do my time Thanks for listening to Hey Vern, It's a Podcast. To find more by your co-hosts Marcus Jones and Pete Moran, visit crushedcelluloid.com and wltwpodcast.com respectively. Our theme song comes from the lovely Cole Smith and his band, Smiths. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again, know what I mean? He's no Rob Lowe, that's true. I actually just watched uh, the latest episode of The Orville, and Rob Lowe uh, was a guest star on that as a blue alien creature that was pretty good. <laughs> um, two things. One, uh, even Rob Lowe isn't a Rob Lowe. Have you seen him recently on uh, in Twitter and such? He's made some really weird, uh, shitty, backwards kind of uh, posts. And then also, if you get Rob Lowe, that sweet, sexy man on your show, please... Don't cover him up. Well, they cover him up, but they also make him the most fuckable thing ever. And like, <laughs> oh really? Both of the main characters want to fuck him throughout the show. Is kind of the the plot line because he's an alien that produces pheromones that makes everyone want to fuck him. Oh. However, as far as him making weird backward statements, uh, I haven't actually read his uh, autobiography, but I have read things about it, and that uh, he, I, I believe he had sex with a lot of underage girls and videotaped it along the way. Yeah, that was like a big thing that like really blew up his career and kind of ruined him. And uh, not very long, no I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, nobody really took it out on him because it was, like, a different time. But, like, nowadays, he would rightfully get buried. It was a lot of, like, 17-year-olds. Like, like, on the cusp. Like, but yeah, still was, fucking weird and creepy. He was he was into the barely illegals. <laughs> the barely illegals. <laughs> now, there is a magazine we could never print. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know if there were multiple incidents, to be honest. It was just that one weird video, and he like, claimed she lied about her age or something. Uh, if you hear something in the background, I think my um, dog just hacked up a hairball. He's very grossed out by... Um, <laughs> 
uh, pedophilia, habophilia, or whatever it's called, uh, whatever all the perverts on the internet are insisting I call their brand of yeah it's okay it does sound like he's coughing up something but i'm pretty sure there's a a slow hum of the dryer in my recording so (laughs) we're we're both doing terrible so far you're sitting on a dryer for your own sexual satisfaction right well i mean i can't talk about rob lowe without sitting on a dryer and (laughs) getting grossed out i guess (laughs) which is what does it for me oddly enough well anyways